Now, in the book of Leviticus, when I was teaching Sunday school class, I would often ask people, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And I would always preface that by saying there is no wrong answer. Leviticus is a bit hard to say that it might be your favorite book because it is really a manual for priests. And thus, it is kind of technical, a little bit repetitive even. Ultimately, it's all fulfilled in Christ. As we read some of these things, we can thank the Lord that we don't actually do them anymore, like the sacrifices, but we do understand the meaning of those sacrifices, including this one, which is called the peace offering or the fellowship offering, and it's found in Leviticus chapter 3. Those of you who have schedules to read through the Bible might come to Leviticus and might have read this chapter, but I suspect a lot of you haven't heard it recently. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different because it is a manual. It's repetitive. And the first three paragraphs are all about the sacrifice of the peace offering. And then it goes through whether it is an animal from the herd or the flock or a goat. They're all the same procedure except the end of each paragraph is a little bit different. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first one and just think in your mind. If it's a bull... That's from the herd. If it's a lamb, it's from the flock. If it's a goat, he shall bring it before the Lord. And then I'm going to read the end of each paragraph to see the differences and some of the meaning behind it. So we'll start out with Leviticus chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through uh, 5 to begin with. If the offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it in the entrance to the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the, li- at the uh, loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then the second paragraph is, if it is an offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, then you pick an animal from the flock, which is a sheep. And it goes through the exact same procedure, including all of those details about the parts of the animal and so forth. And then it says, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. And then you have the goat. And it goes through the exact same procedure, if you want to read through it at your leisure, including all of those parts of the animal and what to do with them. But then it ends in verse 16. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places uh, that you eat neither fat nor blood. And that's the instruction, the laws for the peace offerings. I direct your attention to the outline, which this evening is a bit longer than this morning's outline. I want you to show, see that in these passages and many examples in the Bible, in the Old Testament, these offerings are expressing deep desires in danger or gratitude for gifts granted or bliss 
for bounteous blessings. There are various reasons, and I've tried to use a little bit of alliteration to help you remember them, perhaps. And then we'll see the old covenant shadow here in this passage, how it's fulfilled in Christ, and then how we live in the light of that fulfillment so that even though we don't do the peace offering, we have peace with God that is foreshadowed in this peace offering. Let us pray for God's blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this passage, as difficult as it may be to understand what it means. We may rejoice in the peace that our Lord has brought for us so that we can now eat and drink in the presence of the Lord, especially as we look forward to that great marriage feast of the Lamb, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great custom in the Middle East to have overwhelming hospitality. If you were to travel in a place like Iraq or even Saudi Arabia, other places in the Middle East, and if you were a guest, it didn't matter who you were, you would be treated to a lavish feast. We experienced this ourselves as a family when there was a family from Iraq that was fleeing for persec- from persecution because these, believe it or not, were Iraqi Christians. And during the time of Desert Storm, they told the story about how the stealth fighters came over. This is back in the early 90s, you may remember. And they were shooting in Baghdad. And if you remember at all the videos, some of you may not remember this at all, but there were like tracers firing up in the sky, shooting at things they couldn't see because they were shooting at stealth fighters. And they were defending their country which was Iraq. Even though Saddam Hussein was in control, these people told us that even though Saddam Hussein was was mean, he was mean to everybody. (laughs) Whereas the next regime, they were particularly mean to Christians, and they had to flee. So they came to this country, and they settled in Dayton, Ohio, where my wife and I were, and we got to know a lot of international people, and one day they invited us over for dinner to their house. And this was a father and a mother and various other relatives, I'm thinking six or seven or eight Iraqi nationals, who were Christians. And they welcomed us as Christians, and you should have seen that feast. Now, you all spread a pretty good feast yourself, but it was still amazing to see the variety of food that was spread out for us, and it seemed like it never ended. We just kept going on and on and on because the whole idea is hospitality is something that you extend to someone with whom you have a relationship. In this case, it was a Christian relationship. And you were doing it out of thanksgiving, specifically for what God had given to you, and especially as Christians, what God has given us in Christ. We have here an interesting sacrifice. There were the burnt offerings and the grain offerings in Leviticus 1 and 2. When we get to chapter 3, we have a different kind of an offering, a kind of a hidden treasure. Now, this is also an offering, only this offering, if you're an Israelite and you came to offer a peace offering, we'll explain why in a minute. What did you do? You actually killed the animal. Now, later on, the priests were given that job. But at the beginning, you had to actually, believe it or not, slit the animal's throat, and the blood was splashed on the altar And the skin was cut up and other parts of the animal were cut up. But this was a different kind of an offering. Because the grain offering was eaten by priests, but the peace offering was eaten by the people who brought the offering. 
Now you've got to think about that for just a minute. We have here a fellowship or a peace offering, a continual renewal of the, uh, renewal of the covenant, in which this was a fragrant offering to the Lord, which was pleasing in his sight, because it was a sacrifice. But by this sacrifice, you were brought into fellowship with God. That's why it's called the fellowship offering. Or into the peace offering, which is meaning we now have peace with God, ultimately through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they didn't understand all of that as well as we do, but they had to continually act out this idea that God is the host of the feast, that we enjoy ourselves in God's presence, and once there was atonement, or the burnt offering, for example, the peace offering was on top of that, so that because the blood of the animals had been shed, we now have peace with God. Now, ultimately, the sacrifice belongs to the Lord, so the most precious pieces, the most delicacy type of pieces were given to the Lord. They were delicacies, particularly the fat was given to God. Now, remember, he doesn't eat, okay? This is a symbolic offering. It doesn't mean that God was hungry. That's a foolish idea. And in the prophets, he says, it's not that I was hungry. I was just showing you what it means to come in my presence by the offering of the blood of animals. And now I come and you eat before me and you will not be destroyed because now we have peace with God. That's the basic idea. We're familiar with that idea, I'm sure. You cannot have your sins forgiven or peace with God unless the offering is made. But once the offering is made, there is nothing left to fear. Now, there are times that peace offerings are given in the Old Testament, and I divided it up into three parts so you can see them. First of all, peace offerings were given to express deep desires in danger. In the Old Covenant, there were many times very dangerous or difficult times through which the people passed, and they need to know that God was always with them despite that danger, and he would bring them out of that danger. So in danger or in sin or sickness or in war or with some kind of a vow to remind themselves that God would bring deliverance, that God would bring, have them bring a peace offering before him, even during the danger. So example in Judges chapter 26, the tribe of Benjamin had sinned a great sin. I won't go into detail right now. But there was a civil war, and God had punished the men of Benjamin, and there was no peace. There was a battle destroying the city of Gibeah, and 25,000 of the tribe of Benjamin were destroyed. And then there was prayer for the restoration of Benjamin, restoring the women and the families who lost their husbands and their fathers. So the next day, the people rose early and built there an offering and offered, listen, burnt offerings and peace offerings. Right in the middle of all this, they had to know, is God pleased to receive a sacrifice for our sins? And will there be peace with God again? So they came with deep, spontaneous feelings for the judgment that had come upon their brothers, and they were personally moved to bring these offerings the deep feelings were expressed by the bringing of these kind of offerings, including the internal, internal offerings of kidneys and fat. The deepest emotions that they could feel were expressed in this way. Sometimes you had an offering by, let's say, Hannah, who had trouble conceiving a child, you may remember. And since she could not conceive, she brought 
they brought a peace offering. Interestingly enough, she did not eat that peace offering right away. She was waiting for God's answer to prayer. Or if the people returned from captivity and they were delivered from their enemies, then they offered a peace offering. It happens many, many times in the Old Testament, too many times for me to list for you today. But these are just some examples. Now, the messianic fulfillment is we are in great danger. The greatest danger is from the judgment of God, as was shown to the tribe of Benjamin in their sin. But God has provided a way of escape, not through the death of bulls and goats and sheep, but through the blood of Christ. That death for our sakes paid for our sins. We were in deep danger, but Christ delivered us from that danger of judgment by this work of Jesus Christ. He became a payment for our sins. Isaiah 53 says it in this way, with a specific reference to the guilt offering and the sin offering, and we believe also the peace offering. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him, that's the Messiah, to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. When Christ offers an offering, there's no more guilt. Now we have peace with God. In fact, Christ was raised from the dead because he anticipated that blessing upon his life. And therefore we, in time of danger, come to God in Christ and say, Lord, grant us your peace. Sometimes we have faced very difficult circumstances where you might be in fear. I don't know if you've ever been in fear for your life. A couple times in my life, I thought I might die. I won't go into detail. But there might be times when you had that close of a brush with death, maybe in an accident, or something to happen to you, and God spared your life. God prepared you a table in the presence of that danger. Psalm 50 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. This is Psalm 50. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of peace. And therefore, it's an expression of also very deep desire to have that peace with God, God's favor once again. As the Old Testament people confess their need for peace, we do the same. We remember that once-for-all peace offering sacrificed upon the cross in which we read in the book of Ephesians, for he himself is our peace. He has made peace through his body on the cross that we might not fear judgment that we so deserve. We have now peace with God a peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we need to remember is that Christ is our peace. He has won a relationship with us and God so that we do not need to fear judgment even in hard times, or as I say here, expressing deep desires in danger. Now the second one is similar, only it's after the victory is won. After the danger is past, we might express to God gratitude for his granted gifts. Now, in the Old Testament, God already showed his favor towards the people in the first section when he shows that even though they were in danger, he saved their lives. Here we have God shows his faithfulness. Now, again, when you have a meal, it indicates you have peace with someone. 
you sit down together, Jacob and Laban, made peace, and sealed the goodwill by Jacob hosting Laban for a meal. When God gives help, God has answered prayer, then we are called in this kind of sacrifice in the Old Testament to eat with God in a symbolic way. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah was waiting for a child. You may remember this. And she pled with God to give her a child, even though she had not had a child, which of course eventually would be Samuel. So Hannah was given a double portion, but curiously, she did not eat of the peace offering. She was saying, God, I need you to show yourself to be faithful in bringing me the answer to this prayer that your servant brings to you. And so it went on year by year as they go up to the house of the Lord, they offer the peace offering, but she wept, it says, and would not eat. Later on, as Samuel was born, it says that Hannah brings another peace offering, and this time she eats. We find that Hannah is rejoicing in gifts granted, and she's thankful to the Lord. You know how we have Thanksgiving feasts? That's not an accident. That happened early on in the settlers as they came together and thanked God together with some of their friends of the local Indians. You remember remember this? And they ate a feast of peace and of thanksgiving. Even though they were in hard times, God had preserved their lives for another year. Another incident happens in Genesis chapter 18. And again, I won't have us turn there, otherwise we'll be here all evening. But in Genesis chapter 18, God appeared to Abraham in the form of three angels. And he promised this time to Sarah a child. Remember, she had the same problem Hannah did. So way back before then, you had Abraham waiting to see whether or not Sarah would have a child, even though they were in their old age. And God promised that that would happen, and it did happen the next year. And then she ate with God. It's in a very interesting passage. A lot of times we skip over it going, I have no idea what that means. But it has to do with the peace offering. When they offered this peace offering, then they would have fellowship with God, first in time of danger, second if God answered prayer and gave them gifts. And in gratitude, as we do at Thanksgiving, they offered a feast offering or a love offering or a fellowship offering to God, and as it were, they ate with God. Now, again, we know God is not hungry, but he receives this sacrifice as a symbol of his willingness to accept their prayers, to accept their petitions, to pour out blessing upon them. Now, of course, we know that God's faithfulness has been shown to us in the most wonderful way in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, again, it says that the Messiah shall see the fruit of his suffering and be satisfied and give thanks to God as he did when he was raised again from the dead. And in Luke chapter 24, when he's raised again from the dead, what does he do with his disciples? He ate with them too. It's not a small thing. It's a very significant thing. When you have your fellowship luncheon, you're celebrating God's goodness. You're not just eating at a restaurant. You're having fellowship together. And therefore, the Messiah would come, as Psalm 56 says, I, the Messiah, must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. 
For you have delivered my soul from death, yea, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. When Christ offered up his sacrifice, he was a burnt offering. He was a guilt offering. And he was also a peace offering. For he himself is our peace. He brought peace where there was once warfare, where there was once distance, where there was once division, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, He himself is our peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one, has broken down the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There it is again. We miss it. If we don't know the Old Testament, we miss the reference to the peace offering. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came, Jesus did, and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Because Christ himself is our peace. That is our peace offering. We come to God from different backgrounds. Jew and Gentile, bond and free, male and female. We have this one unifying sacrifice that brings us together to have peace with God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 23 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We skip over that. We know it too well. What do you mean God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies and then my cup runs over? We're eating and drinking with God symbolically by faith in Christ, knowing that he now has perfect goodwill towards us and he has abolished that law that condemned us. We certainly understand, don't we, that this is what is going on in the Lord's Supper. He prepares a table before us. He has a celebrate, and we sometimes use the term celebrate, don't we? The Lord's Supper, that's on purpose. We are celebrating, we're joyous that Christ died, yes, but his death brought what kind of bounteous blessing for us. And in the Lord's Supper, we eat and drink of his body and blood, remembering that he broke his body, had his body broken, and his blood shed for us, and now we come together in peace. That's, by the way, why you have to make reconciliation with your brothers if you have something against them or vice versa before you come to the Lord's table. You're to have peace with one another, symbolizing that you want that peace for yourself with others as God won that peace between himself and you. So God shows his favor in danger. He shows his faithfulness in giving gifts. And finally, he expresses, or we express bliss, bliss or happy, happiness for bounteous blessings. God shows us his fullness. If you're filling in the blanks, that's what he's doing. He's showing us his favor, his faithfulness, and now his fullness. And this comes in response to unexpected blessings. Suddenly, God delivers you. Suddenly, the people of God have victory. We find that in Exodus chapter 24, a young bull was brought as a peace offering as men representing the nation came before God, and they beheld God and ate and drank. And this is way back in the Old Testament at the time of the giving of the law. But because Christ was going to come to fulfill the law, they had peace with God, and it says they saw God in a pre-incarnate way. It's very mysterious, I admit. But he is now the host 
of the old Israel, and they ate and drank. We have the host of the new Israel, so we eat and drink. We are friends of God and have reconciliation. In some Christian traditions, they say Jesus at the Lord's Supper is the host. Sometimes they make that into something mechanical in Roman Catholic settings. But for us, it's true, Christ is our host. That is, he is welcoming us into his presence as he celebrated the original Lord's Supper with his disciples and reminded them that though he was to die through that death and resurrection to follow, he would have one peace so that his disciples could eat and drink with him, not just then, but ever since then, Regularly, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which really is a fulfillment of the peace offering. We have peace with God. That's what we're celebrating. God won peace through the blood of the Lamb. And we ought to recognize that in some ways, that's a big surprise. Why should God love his enemies? But he did. Why should God love those who hated him? But he did. And there at the temple in Jerusalem, they would come together As Deuteronomy 12 says, and they would celebrate and eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and all your households, in all you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And they would sing a song of thanksgiving, like Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I hope you know that psalm. It's a beautiful one. It's set to a chant. We talked about this this afternoon, Joel and I, in which you should be able to remember the words of that psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving. In 1 Samuel 2, Hannah also sang a psalm of thanksgiving and ate before the Lord. In Ezra chapter 1, God moved Cyrus to let the people go home. And was they, when they came back home in Ezra chapter 3, they celebrated a free will peace offering. And in Psalm 126, when God restored the fortunes of Zion, when we returned, we were like men that dreamed. And therefore they celebrated a peace offering before the Lord because he had delivered them from captivity and brought them back into the presence of the Lord. Well, obviously you see what's happening. We were captive to sin. We were enslaved in Egypt or in Babylon or Assyria. And Christ delivered us out of the bonds of death and hell and sin and captivity and brought us into his presence in which there is fullness of joy, as we'll sing in a moment from Psalm 16. My heart is glad in your presence there is fullness of joy. So as you celebrate the Lord's Supper, or even now as we celebrate worship, we ought to be giving thanks to God because he has made peace through the one who is our peace. We notice that after the gospel, a word of reconciliation was declared among the people of Israel at Pentecost. They fellowshiped together and broke bread together, and they were celebrating the peace that they all had with God. Now in corporate joy in Ephesians chapter 3, we read of this. God has given us blessings far beyond all that we can ask and think. According to the riches of his glory, he gave you to be strengthened with this power through the Spirit in your inmost being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the, here's the word from the third point, fullness of God. God's fullness in fellowship, joy, redemption, and in intimate celebration is given to you. That's a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. We're told that there's going to be a great wedding feast at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We know that Adam and Eve ate and drank in the Garden of Eden until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sinned against God. God promised them there would come one who would be the seed of the woman to strike the head of the serpent so that there could once again be true eating and drinking, thanksgiving and celebration in the presence of the Lord. Christ fulfills all the offerings in the Old Testament. You wonder why we don't do them. Well, because Christ fulfilled them. This is why we don't need to worry about exactly what bull or goat or lamb or whatever might be brought into the presence of God. Christ is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice given for us from before the foundation of the world. We eat in peace now, and we eat at the marriage feast of the Lamb, and God provides the food. We are starving without fellowship in Christ. When we come to the marriage feast of the Lamb, every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Every danger shall be removed. Every faithfulness will have come to pass. Every promise will have come true. And every fullness will dwell within you, even as now there is a foretaste of that fullness. Christ has endured the fire of God's wrath, bearing our sins in his body on the cross, so now we have peace with God. He is the bread of life, that true bread from heaven, that provided spiritual nourishment for his people in the Old Testament, and particularly for the priests, but he is, in fact, the true bread of life. He is the one in whom we eat the new covenant meal. We eat of his flesh and drink of his blood symbolically and sacramentally, that we might remember and partake in the peace that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. I bet you didn't know some of that. I hope you know it better if you already did know a little bit of it. Let us celebrate, in other words, the peace that we have. Let us celebrate and keep the feast, not with the leaven of wickedness, but with the leaven of righteousness that Christ has given us to season our lives and to fill everything we do with joy and meaning and thanksgiving. Let's celebrate, shall we? Shall we pray? Lord, we don't have a lot of cause for celebration in ourselves. In fact, we have nothing but hopelessness. We see in the world all the failures, all of the vain attempts to find peace and to work peace between one another in this world. We have all kinds of foolish and sinful ways to try to do that, and none of it works. It is all vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But you have come to bring deep meaning, to fulfill our lives with safety and with gifts and with bounteous and eternal and boundless blessings in our Savior who has come to win the victory, to die in sacrifice, and to reign forever and ever. Hear our prayers as we rejoice with you in Jesus' name.